ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಚೆನ್ನೈ ಗುಣಮಾಯ್ ಪಣಿತ ಗುರುರು ಆಯೊಳಿ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಜೀವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ that was um sadwam singing uh verse 19 of aksharamamalai which is the verse i'm going to be talking about today what bhagavan says in this verse is kutrumutru arutu ene gunamai panitu al guru vuru vai ole arunachala that's if we split it up into separate uh separate um uh <clears throat> um separate words um what this means is the basic meaning is arunachala who shines as the form of guru eradicating defects completely making me as virtue take charge and what it implies is arunachala who shines as the form of guru eradicating removing or cutting off all my defects completely namely all my vishaya vasanas along with ego their root and making me as one who is endowed with every guna virtue or good quality especially sadguna the ultimate virtue of just being as i actually am without ever rising as ego even to the slightest extent take charge of me as your very own so that i may never again fall prey to the evil demon ego and its horde of vishaya uh, vasanas um the first word of this uh, word of this verse is kutram which means uh, a defect blemish flaw fault imperfection or impurity and though it is singular in form in this context it is plural in sense because it is used here as a collective noun referring to all defects mutru is both a verb that means to ripen mature be fully grown be fulfilled come to an end finish or complete and a noun uh, uh, that means what is complete completeness perfection ripeness maturity completion or end but here it is used in the sense of the adverb mutram which means completely wholly or entirely arutu is an adverbial participle that means severing removing cutting off rooting out eradicating or making non-existent so kutram mutru arutu uh, is an adverbial clause that means eradicating defects completely the first defect and the root of all other defects is our rising as ego but they have my body or false awareness i am this body because by rising thus we seemingly separate ourselves from our own real nature atma swarupa which is the infinite immutable and eternally blemishless perfection that exists and shines as such it pure being and pure awareness i am without ego no other defect or imperfection could exist 
And so long as ego exists, other defects and imperfections are inevitable. So defects cannot be eradicated completely until and unless ego is eradicated. Therefore, kutra mutru arutu, uh, eradicating defects completely, implies eradicating all my defects completely, along with ego, the root and parent of each and every one of them. All other defects originate from ego in the form of its vishaya vasanas, that is, inclinations to seek happiness in things other than itself. Because vishaya vasanas are the subtle seeds that sprout as other defects. In the absence of ego, as in sleep, no vishaya vasanas seem to exist, and hence no defects seem to exist. But as soon as we rise as ego in waking or dream, vishaya vasanas begin rising in countless numbers like ocean waves, as Bhagavan says in the first sentence of the 10th paragraph of Nana, and to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by them, they thereby give rise to all kinds of defects. We can curb the rising of defects, therefore, only to the extent to which we refrain from being swayed by the vishaya vasanas that give rise to them. And since the very nature of ourself as ego is to be constantly swayed by our vishaya vasanas, we cannot permanently avoid being swayed by any vishaya vasanas whatsoever until and unless ego, their root and progenitor, is uh, eradicated completely. Uttramutrarutu, eradicating defects completely, therefore implies eradicating ego completely, and thereby eradicating all its vishaya vasanas and consequent defects. As Bhagavan often used to say, therefore, ego is the Adi Kutram, the original defect, or what in Christianity is called the original sin, because it is the sinner without whom no other sin could exist. Therefore, we are truly born in sin, as they say in Christian theology, uh, because ego is the source of both birth and death. And until ego is eradicated, we will continue to be born and to die in one body after another. Hence, to be free not only of all sin, but also of the disease of birth and death, we as ego must die by knowing and being what we actually are, namely Satchitananda, the one eternal, indivisible and immutable infinitude of pure being, pure awareness and pure happiness, which is eternally untainted and untouched by even the slightest trace of birth, death or any sin whatsoever. So that's the first clause. Uh, uh, um, then the next clause begins with the word enne, which is a poetic abbreviation of enne, the accusative or second case form of a first person pronoun, singular pronoun, so it means me. Gunam is a Tamil form of a Sanskrit noun guna, which means a quality of any kind, particularly a good quality or virtue or more generally, any property, attribute, or characteristic. But in this context, it is used to refer to gunavan, one who is endowed with uh, goodness or all good qualities. Um, <clears throat> that is, the, the abstract noun, guna, is used uh, uh, 
to refer to one who has that abstract quality, namely one who has good qualities. Um, I is a, a, an adverbial participle that means being, becoming, or as. And panitu is an adverbial participle that means declaring, ordering, or giving. But in this context implies making. So ene gunamai panitu uh, literally means making me as guna, uh, goodness or virtue, but implies making me as one who is endowed with goodness. Just as in this context, kutram or defect implies all kinds of vishaya vasanas, which are the seeds that sprout in the form of likes, dislikes, desires, uh, uh, aversions, attachments, hopes, fears, and so on, under whose sway we rush outwards and wander about seeking happiness in things other than our own being, gunam or virtue implies satvasana, the inclination or liking to subside back within by clinging fast to our own being, I am, and thereby just being as we always actually are. Since Vishayavasanas are the inclinations that pull our attention outwards, whereas Satvasana is the inclination that pulls it back within, they are two opposing forces. So to the extent that Satvasana is strengthened, Vishayavasanas will be weakened. And hence it is by nurturing Satvasana in our heart that the grace of our natula gradually weakens and eventually eradicates all our Vishayavasanas. When he first sows this seed called satvasana in our heart, it is just a slight inclination to subside back into our being. But as we yield ourselves more and more to its sway by trying to turn back within and surrender ourselves, it gradually grows stronger and it grows into a stronger and stronger liking and eventually grows into an all-consuming love to know and to be what we always actually are. Therefore, ene gunamai panitu, making me as virtue, implies this process by which Arunachala nurtures satvasana in our heart to such, ex to such an extent that it consumes us entirely, transforming us into himself. Among Vishayavasanas, uh, some are more agreeable, subha, while others are more disagreeable, asubha, as Bhagavan says in the 19th paragraph of Nana. What he says there is, Nalamanam endrum, ketamanam endrum, irendu manangalile. That is, there are not two minds, namely a good mind and a bad mind. Manam andre, mind is only one. Vasane um, gale, uh, 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 subum endrum, a subum endrum, irendu vidum. Only vasanas, inclinations, are of two kinds, namely subha, agreeable, virtuous, or good, and a subha, disagreeable, wicked, harmful, or bad. Manam subha vasane vayatai nikompodu, nala manam endrum, a subha vasane. Uh, Solapadam. Uh, when the mind is under the sway of subhavasanas, it is said to be a good mind, and when it is under the sway of asubhavasanas, it is said to be a bad mind. 
of of course, when Bhagavan talks about subhavasanas and asubhavasanas, they um these are these are relative terms. Some vasanas are more subha, some are more asubha. Some are somewhere in between subha and asubha. So it's not that there, but there are just two kinds, either subha or asubha. This is a there's a, a range from extremely subha to extremely asubha, and all shades of in between. Um Therefore, when a person is seen to have good qualities and to behave in a virtuous manner, that is because their mind is predominantly under the sway of subhavasanas. When a, whereas when a person is seen to have bad qualities and to behave in a selfish or unrighteous manner, that is because their mind is predominantly under the sway of asubhavasanas. However, even subhavasanas are vishayavasanas, albeit less harmful ones than a subhavasanas. To the extent that satvasana grows strong, taking hold of our mind more and more, our vishayavasanas will thereby be weakened. But as they grow weaker, the ones that lose their strength most rapidly are any residual asubhavasanas. So whatever vishayavasanas remain in the mind, in, in a mind that is predominantly under the sway of satvasana will be ones that are relatively subha in nature. In other words, the more strongly we're inclined to subside back within, the more good qualities will manifest in our outward behavior because of the subha nature of our residual vishayavasanas. Therefore, those satvasana is the inclination to subside back within and remain as pure being instead of rising as ego to go outwards. It will be reflected outwardly as a predominance of subhavasanas, which will manifest in the behavior of the mind, speech and body as good qualities or virtues of all kinds. Just as ego is the a source and abode of every kutram, defect or bad quality, the state of egolessness in which we have subsided back within under the sway of satvasana and thereby merged forever in our own being, I am, is the source and abode of every gunam, virtue or good quality, because our real nature is completely and eternally devoid of all defects. So when ego is eradicated, all defects and badness will be eradicated along with it, and hence any quality that remains in its absence can only be good quality. Uh, can only be the quality of goodness. Only one who is completely devoid of ego, therefore, is one who is truly endowed with goodness or all good qualities. So since the since in this context, gunam the quality of goodness or good quality is used in the sense of gunavan, one who is endowed with goodness or good qualities, it implies one who is devoid of ego. Uh, therefore, kutramutraratu, eradicating defects completely, implies eradicating ego along with all its defects. Um, uh, so just as it means that, ene gunamai panitu, making me as guna, uh, goodness, implies making me be egoless and thereby endowed with all goodness. Um, but when I explained the meaning, I explained gun, uh, gunum, 
and I as two separate words, but uh, gunuma is also a um, is also which is uh, is also a separate verb. So um, this verb gunuma, which is a compound of the noun gunum and the verb are, meaning be or become, means um, uh, become good, be cured or be healed, uh, or be restored to health. So gunomai is an adverbial participle that means being healed or being restored. And hence, ene gunomai panitu also means making me be healed or making me be restored. Since ego is the primal disease and the root of all other diseases, making me be healed or making me be restored implies making me be devoid of ego and thereby restored to my natural and healthy state of pure being, which is devoid of all defects and hence devoid of and hence the abode of all good qualities. <clears throat> Eradication of ego, the false awareness I am this body, Dehatma Baba or Dehatma Buddhi, is the sum and substance of all good qualities, as Bhagavan implies in verse 13 of Uludunapaduanabandam. What he says in this verse is Dhanam Tabam Belvi Dhammam Yogam Bhakti. Vanam porul shanti vaime arul monam nile sahamosavu arivu sa turvu vidu imbum dehabma babum arul tear. What that means is um, the, the awareness I am this body, dehabma baba, being severed is. All of these, um, it is, um, it it is dana giving or charity. It is tapas, uh, austerity or asceticism. It is velvi, sacrifice offering or sacrificial fire or yaga, uh, dharma righteousness, yoga meditation or union, um, bhakti devotion or love. Varnam, space, implying the space of pure awareness or heaven. Um, Poral, the real substance or vastu. Uh, shanti, peace. Vaime, truth. Uh, Aral, grace. Mona, silence. Nile, firmness, stability, permanence or nishta. Uh, um, Sahamul sabu, death without dying. Arivu, pure awareness, knowledge, or jnana. Uh, Saturvu, accomplished uh, renunciation. Um, uh, Vidu, uh, liberation. And Imbam, happiness. So Bhagavan says all these are nothing but the eradication of Dehatma Baba. Dehatma Baba means the false awareness, I am his body. In other words, ego. So of all, so all qualities are included in the eradication of ego. So when Bhagavan prays Gunamai Panitu, he implies eradicate ego and thereby bestow upon me all these good qualities. Of all gunas, good qualities or virtues, the greatest is Satguna, the quality of Sat, pure being, which is the source and sum total of all other gunas. 
though pure being I am is what we always actually are, our nature as such seems to be obscured when we rise as ego, but false awareness I am this body, thereby going outwards and becoming entangled with doing instead of just being as we actually are. Therefore, Satguna is the ultimate virtue of Summa Irupadu, just being, which means being as we always actually are, without ever rising as ego, even to the slightest extent, to know anything other than ourself or to do any action. Hence, in a guna mai panitu, making me as guna implies making me be endowed with sadguna, Uh, establishing me in my natural state of pure being and thereby preventing me uh, rising ever again as ego. Um, Just being thus without ever rising as ego is our real nature, Swarupa, as Bhagavan explains in the sixth paragraph of Nana. What he says in the sixth paragraph is, Ibidamaha, Manam hridiatil tangabe, ella nine bugulam mulamana nan embudu poi, epodum ulla tan matrum bilangum. What that means is, in this way, when the mind remains firmly fixed in the heart, what is called I, namely ego, which is the root or foundation, cause or origin of all thoughts, will depart and oneself who always exists, alone will remain. Um, alone will shine, sorry, alone will shine, belangum. Nan enum ninevu kinja la idame sarupamahum. Only the place where the thought called I, namely ego, does not exist, even a little, is swarupa, one's own real nature. Here, when he says only the only the place where the thought I doesn't um, doesn't exist even a little, obviously he's using the word place here in a metaphorical sense. That is only only uh, only in the state or in the condition or yeah the place. It's a metaphorical way of saying only in the place where the thought called I does not exist even a little is Swarupa, our own real nature. Um, that alone is uh, called Mona. So when Bhagavan's talking about Mona, he's uh, about silence. He's not just talking about vocal silence. He's even, not even talking about mental silence. He's talking about our real nature, which is the state in which there's not even the slightest trace of any ego or thought called I whatsoever. That alone is the true Mona that Bhagavan is talking about. That Mona is, our, is as he says here, it is Swarupa. It is our own real nature, uh, the silence of pure being. Ivaru summa irupakutan jnana drishti endrupaya. Only to the state of just being in this way does the name jnana drishti, knowledge seeing, uh, experiencing true knowledge or real awareness, refer. Summa irupadavadu. Manate Atma Sarupatil Leka Sevade. 
um, what just being soma irupadu is is only making the mind dissolve, disappear or die in apmasurupa, the real nature of oneself. What he refers to here as hridiyam, the heart, epodum ullatan, oneself who always exists, sarupam, one's own real nature, monam, silence, and apmasarupam, the real nature of oneself, is aranachala, who is always shining within us as our own being. Since the nature of our self as ego is to always rise and go outwards, it is only by his grace that we can be drawn back within and thereby firmly fixed in him as him. Uh, as I explained in more detail in earlier articles in this series, namely in the first six paragraphs of my explanation of verse 4, and in several paragraphs in my explanation of verse 14, the uh, al is a verb uh, for which there's no adequate English equivalent because it combines within itself two principal meanings, namely on the one hand to rule, govern, control, or manage, and on the other hand to cherish, care for, take care of, uh, take loving responsibility or take loving responsibility for the welfare and protection of. So I generally translate it as to take charge in the sense that a caring adult may take charge of an orphan child, meaning that they lovingly take full responsibility uh, for the welfare, care, protection, and upbringing of the child. But it can also be translated as to take possession of or, or take as one's own in the sense that a bridegroom takes his bride as his own, meaning that he takes full responsibility for loving, protecting, and taking care of her in every way. Al is the root of this verb, so it is used here as an imperative, and hence it is a prayer meaning take charge, take possession, or take as your own. That is, in this verse, the whole prayer is kutramutrarutu, so the first two, uh, that removing all def removing defects completely and um, making us as endowed with good qualities, these are adverbial clauses. The main prayer is al, take charge. And this is this is a verb that Bhagavan uses in so many. Uh, so many verses of Akshramlai and uh, Aranachastuti Panchakami in general. It, it, this is such an important uh, verb to understand the meaning. That is, to God is always ready to take complete charge of us, but in, he will never force himself upon us. So it's only to the extent to which we surrender ourselves to him. In other words, the, which, the extent to which we hand over charge of ourselves to him, but he will take charge of us. Um, so that's why Bhagavan is so often praying to Arunachala to take charge. That means he's willing to give himself wholly to Arunachala. He's willing to hand, he's trying, he wants to hand over charge of himself to Arunachala. And only when we are, when Arunachala takes charge of us, are we truly saved. Because until he takes charge of us, we are, we are taking charge of ourselves. That means he, we, we are surrendering to the control of ego. If we want to be restored to our natural state, 
we have to hand over charge to him. And then only are we truly saved. Then only are we restored to our natural state of uh, inseparable oneness with him. Uh, to the extent to which we rise and stand as ego, we thereby submit ourselves to the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas. So we can sway, we, we can subside back within only to the extent to which we cling firmly to self-attentiveness and thereby refrain from being swayed by them. Therefore, when Bhagavan prays all take charge, what he implies is that instead of allowing us to remain under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas, Arunachana should bring us under the sway of his grace by drawing us back within and absorbing us completely into himself as himself, thereby not allowing us to ever rise again, even to the slightest extent as ego. Al is the main verb of this sentence, and it is preceded by two adverbial clauses, kutramutrarutu, eradicating defects, defects completely, and ene guna mai panitu, making me as guna, virtue or good quality. So excluding the address to our nature, which forms the rest of this verse, the entire sentence, kutramutraritane gunamai panitu, means eradicating defects completely, making me as guna take charge, and implies eradicating all my defects completely, along with ego, their root, and making me as one who is endowed with every uh, guna, good virtue or good quality, take charge of me as your very own. By adding these two adverbial clauses before the main prayer, I'll take charge, Bhagavan implies that Arunachya takes charge of us as his own by completely eradicating our, defect, our defects, namely ego along with all its Vashaya Vasanas, and thereby making us endowed with the supreme virtue of egolessness, which is the source and sum total of all other virtues and good qualities. That is, Arunachali is always ready to take charge of us, but he will never force himself upon us. So he will take charge of us only when we are wholeheartedly willing to hand over charge of ourselves unreservedly to him, which means surrendering ourselves entirely to him by ceasing to rise as ego. However, since the nature of ourself as ego is to rise and go outwards, constantly dwelling on things other than ourself, surrendering ourself by ceasing to rise and go outwards is contrary to the very nature of ego. So it is only by the infinite grace of our natural that we can become willing to surrender ourselves to him. Therefore, it is only he who can eradicate all our defects along with ego their root, thereby endowing us with the supreme virtue of never rising again as ego. And by doing so, he takes complete charge of us, as Bhagavan implies in this verse. Kutramutrarutal, uh, eradicating defects completely, enegunamai panetal, uh, uh, making me one endowed with guna, 
and Arulugal taking charge are not three separate actions or processes, but are just three ways of describing one and the same process, namely the eradication of ego. Since ego is the first defect and the root of all other defects, eradication of ego alone is the complete eradication of all defects. Likewise, being the source and abode of all defects, ego is the very antithesis of guna in the sense of in which this term is used here, namely goodness or virtue. So being egoless alone is real goodness or virtue, and hence eradication of ego alone is making us endowed with such goodness. Since the very nature of our ego is to constantly roam about under, uh, among the shares, objects or phenomena, under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas. Um, and since we are swayed by such Vasanas only because we willingly allow ourselves to be swayed by them, by rising and standing as ego, we are in effect taking charge of ourselves instead of allowing our naturalist to take charge of us. So it is only by eradicating ego with our wholehearted consent that he can take complete charge of us, bringing us wholly under the sway of his grace. That is, so long as we're under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas, to the extent to which we're under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas, we are resisting yielding ourselves to his grace. To the extent to which we surrender ourselves to him, we come under the sway of his grace and are free from the, from the sway of, of our Vishaya Vasanas. So long as we enthusiastically rise as ego and rush outwards to experience Vishayas, we do so under the sway of our Vishaya Vasanas, which are what Bhagavan refers to in this verse as kutram or defects. So it is only by weakening our Vishaya Vasanas and the hold that they have over us that Arunacha gradually brings us under the sway of his grace. The means by which he weakens our Vishaya Vasanas is by sowing and nurturing in our heart the seed of love to attend to our own being, I am, and thereby to subside back within and dissolve in it. And this seed of love is what is called satvasana, which is what he refers to in this verse as gunam, goodness or virtue. To the extent to which the light of grace shines clearly in our heart, this satvasana will grow strong and flourish, and all Vishaya Vasanas will thereby be weakened and shriveled up, losing their ability to sprout as likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, fears, and so on, like seeds that are roasted in a fire or left out to dry up in the blazing heat of the sun. As Satvasana grows stronger by his grace, under its sway, we will be increasingly inclined to look deep within ourselves, And the more we look deep within, the more clearly we will see the light of his grace shining in our heart as our own being, I am, thereby nourishing and strengthening Satvasana still further. Therefore, when Bhagavan sings, Kutramutraritu enegunamai panitu al, uh, eradicating defects completely, making me as virtue take charge, 
he is praying to Arunachala to complete this process of taking charge of us by nurturing the supreme virtue of Satvasana in our heart to such ex an extent that it eradicates all our Vishaya Vasanas entirely along with the ego their root. Exactly the same prayer is also implied in verse 69. What Bhagavan sings in verse 69 is, what this means is, for mine, which is world fragrance, to acquire Purna fragrance, graciously give Purna union. That, that is what it implies is, so that my mind, which is still pervaded and polluted with world fragrance, namely Vishaya Vasanas, inclinations to experience phenomena, which are what constitute the world. Uh, so, but my mind instead acquires Purna fragrance, namely Satvasana, the inclination to know and to be nothing other than Sat, pure being, which is Purna, uh, the in, one infinite whole, graciously give me Purna union, uh, that namely union with yourself, the one infinite whole, which is the real and eternal state of Jiva Brahmaikya, oneness of Jiva and Brahman. In this verse, manam is a noun that means not only union or marriage, but also fragrance, aroma, scent, smell or odour. So bumanam means world fragrance or world odour, which is a metaphorical way of referring to Vishaya Vasanas, inclinations to seek happiness in phen phenomena, because Vasane, which is a Tamil form of a Sanskrit word Vasana, means not only inclination, but also fragrance, smell or perfume. Therefore, Bhumana Mamanam, mind which is world fragrance, implies mind which consists of Vishaya Vasanas, or mind which is still filled and polluted with Vishaya Vasanas. Uh, Puranam uh, is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word Purna, which means uh, what is full, whole, complete, or entire, and therefore implies the one infinite and indivisible whole, namely Brahman, which is Satchit, pure being and pure awareness, I am. Therefore, Bhumanam, uh, sorry, therefore, Puranamanam uh, in this verse means. Purna uh, fragrance, which implies satvasana, the inclination to turn back within and thereby to subside and dissolve in our own being, I am. Whereas the second Puranamanam, because Puranamanam comes twice in this verse, the second time Puranamanam implies Purna union or Purna marriage, which implies union with Arunachala, who is Purna, the one infinite whole. Since Arunachala is the one infinite whole, other than which nothing can exist, he is what we always actually are. So union with him means remaining as we actually are without ever rising as ego. And hence, this alone is the state in which he has taken complete charge of us, which is what Bhagavan prays for in this 19th verse of Akshramlai. Therefore, in both of in both these two verses, 19 and 64, he is by, sorry, 19 and 69, not 64, 
Um, he is by implication praying for the complete eradication of all Vishaya Vasanas, the flourishing of Satvasana, and our consequently merging as one with Arunachala by surrendering ourselves entirely to him, thereby allowing him to take complete charge of us. Completely eradicating all our defects, namely ego along with its, all its Vishaya Vasanas, sowing and nurturing on our heart the supreme virtue of Satvasana, under whose sway we as ego willingly subside back within and dissolve in and as our mere being, thereby taking, and thereby taking complete charge of us, is the role and purpose of Guru, and is possible only by its grace. As Bhagavan implies by concluding this verse, addressing Arunachala as Guru Vuru Vaiolia Arunachala, Arunachala who shines as the form of Guru. Guru is a word of Sanskrit origin that has now passed into English because it is a, a word for which there is no adequate equivalent in English or other European languages. It is often used in the sense of a teacher, instructor, mentor, or guide. But in a deeper spiritual context, it means so much more than any such terms, because the real guru is the light that removes the fundamental darkness of ignorance, namely ego. As Bhagavan explained, guru is the light of pure awareness that always shines in our heart as our own being, I am. But because our nature as ego is the face outwards, away from ourselves, in the case of most of us, it is necessary for Guru to appear outside in human form in order to teach us to turn back within. Only in the case of very rare and highly mature souls is it not necessary for Guru to appear in human form, because the mind of such a soul is already so strongly inclined to go inwards, but no instructions in words are necessary, since they are able to understand the silent teaching that exists and shines eternally in the heart of each and every one of us. The young Venkataraman was such a soul, so mere remembrance of Arunachala was sufficient to turn his mind inwards and immerse it in the infinite silence of pure being, thereby transforming him into the form of our Guru, Bhagavan Ramana. For him, therefore, Arunachala shone as the form of Guru, as he clearly reveals in this verse. Uru means form, so guru-vuru, in which V is a glide uh, added for euphonic purposes, uh, means guru-form, or the form of guru, implying both the outward form in which guru appears and the real form or swarupa of guru, which is what is always shining in our heart as our own being, I am. As we saw above, I is an adverbial participle that means being, becoming, or as. So Guru Vuru Vai uh, uh, means being the form of Guru or as the form of Guru. Oli is, 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 a verb, is, is the root of a verb that means to shine, but it is used here in the sense of the adjectival or relative participle Oli Rum, which means shining, which shines or who shines. And Arunachala, Arunachala, is a vocative or eighth case form of Arunachalan, um, uh, uh, which is a personal form of Arunachalam. Um, 
that is in Tamil, Arunachalam is impersonal, Arunachalan is personal. Um, but obviously, they're one and the same, but it, 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 we can refer to Arunachalaiva as Arunachalam in the sense he's beyond all persons, and but he's also manifests as, as a person, so Arunachalam. That is to, in the eyes of his devotees, he's the supreme person, the ultimate person, the Purushottama. So he's referred to as Arunachalam. And Arunachala, every verse Vakram Lay ends Arunachala with a long A. Um, that is the vocative form of Arunachalan. So Guru Vuru Vayoli Arunachala is an address to him as Arunachala who shine as the form of my Guru. Though Guru can appear outwardly in physical form, usually in human form, but in the case of Bhagavan in the form of this great hill Arunachala, what Guru actually is, is not physical, but only Atmasvarupa, the real nature of ourself, which is Satchit, the one pure being awareness that always shines in our heart as I am. Therefore, though the physical form of Guru has a role to play, particularly as the vehicle through which its teachings are conveyed to us in words, the grace of Guru is in no way limited to its physical form, because its real teaching is the infinite silence of pure being, which is the light of pure awareness that always exists and shines in our heart as I am. So it is not necessary for us ever to be in the physical presence of Guru in order for us to receive its grace, teaching, and guidance. This is illustrated by the life of Bhagavan. Though he lived 54 years in the physical presence of his Guru, Arunachala, that was after Arunachala had taken complete charge of him by drawing his mind back within and thereby swallowing him in the infinite light of its grace. Before that, he had never in his life been in the physical presence of Arunachala, but the mere thought of Arunachala was sufficient to prepare him to be drawn within and merge back into Arunachala, who was always shining in his mind as his own Swarupa. As he sang in the first verse of uh, Sri Arunachala Ashtakam, um, Arivaru's uh, Giriyana Amadaru Mamma Adiseyam Idunseil Arivari Darkum. That means uh, it sits calmly as a hill, seemingly bereft of awareness, but ah, its action, namely the extremely subtle action of its grace, is preeminent or wonderful, difficult for anyone to understand. Um, uh, Arivu Aru. Arivu Aru Siru Vayadu Adu Mudal Arunachalam Mika Peridu and Arivinilanga. Then in the next sentence, he begins by saying, Though from my young age, when I was bereft of knowledge or, or awareness of anything other than myself, uh, Arunachalam shone in my awareness or mind as what is exceedingly great. So the silent presence of Arunachal in his heart as his own Swarupa is what eventually drew his mind inward so deeply that it absorbed him into, into itself as itself. 
Therefore, when he addresses Arunachala in this verse as Guru Vuru Vayali Arunachala, Arunachala who shines the form of my Guru, what he refers to as Guru Vuru, the form of Guru, is not just the form of this divine hill, but is in a deeper sense his own real nature, Swarupa, which is the real, which is, which is the real and eternally shining form of his Guru, Arunachala. Just as Arunachal was always shining in his heart as his own Swarupa, preparing his mind to draw it back within, it is always shining in the heart of each and every one of us, gradually preparing us in order to eventually draw us back within and thereby absorb us into itself as itself. Therefore, just as being in the physical presence of his guru was not necessary in the case of Bhagavan, being in his physical presence is not necessary in the case of most of us. If we would be benefited by being in his physical presence, that opportunity will be given to us by his grace as part of our prarabdha. So, uh, if it is not given to us, that means that it is not necessary. Uh, what is necessary for most of us is that we should carefully study his teachings, reflect deeply on their meaning and implications, and most importantly of all, that we should put them into practice by trying our best to turn back within and thereby surrendering ourselves entirely to him, allowing him to take complete charge of us by eradicating all our defects, including ego, their root, and thereby bestowing upon us the supreme virtue of egolessness. Though the light of his grace is shining eternally in our heart as our fundamental awareness, I am, and though it is always working tirelessly to draw our mind back within, so long as we willingly allow ourselves to be swayed by our Vishaya Vasanas, we are thereby obstructing the work of his grace by resisting its inward pull instead of yielding ourselves to it. Since the very nature of our self as ego is to be constantly swayed by our Vishaya Vasanas, the only power that can sow and nurture the seed of Sat Vasana in our heart, thereby taking complete charge of us by making us willing to surrender ourselves entirely to its inward pull, is the grace of Guru, the real nature of our self, Atmasarupa, which is what shines outwardly in the form of this divine hill, Arunachala, and in human form as Bhagavan Ramana. Let us therefore surrender ourselves to its inward pull by patiently, persistently, patiently and persistently trying our best to cling fast to our own being, I am, thereby subsiding back within where he is always waiting to devour us as soon as we give ourselves entirely to him. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Aranachala Ramanaya